Opinions and ideas expressed in the following Moraine Valley Broadcast Channel recording are those of its creators and do not represent the views of Moraine Valley Community College. It's Mike Plum getting it done here with uh, my group. Uh, Eddie. Diana. Sean. And we are here to discuss discourse as it pertains to academic, popular, food industry, and political on obesity. To start off this podcast, I'm going to give a few of the definitions of discourse, just so our listeners can understand what we are talking about. A few definitions are written or spoken communication or debate, speak or write authoritatively about a topic, verbally interchange of ideas, especially conversation. A mood of organizing knowledge, ideas, or experience that is rooted in language and is concrete context as history or in situations. A formal and intense discussion or debate. So we'll start off with popular. Anybody outside of healthcare, the government, and the academic setting talking about uh, obesity and the food industry. Uh, one example I think of when I think of popular discourse is obviously that Nicole Arbor video on YouTube. And when she is talking, obviously like a buffoon, you know, she <laughs> she's discussing how fat people or obese people, it's it's their fault and only their fault, and they have you know all the resources to fix it, which which they don't, you know. And uh, I'd like to get your guys' opinion, uh, if not only on that video, just on popular discourse altogether. Uh, I think what she's trying to say in the video is. People are lazy, and she doesn't really see obesity as a disease, and she kind of puts it more on the person. Like she said in the the airplane, how the person had his fat on her, said, get away from me, go work out or something. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of popular discourse takes obesity and, and being fat as a joke, uh, you know, whereas whereas other settings, if, uh, like healthcare or the academic setting, they, you know, it's, it's more of a professional take on terms of obesity whereas uh like today's social media just like youtube where you could you know make your own video and talk about anything you want and she chooses to talk about that and i don't blame her for talking about that like that i blame you know just just the the fact that you know she probably is not getting her information from a doctor you know or a trusted uh, source right she's getting it from the society right from you know from facebook from twitter and Mm -hmm. and things like that and I think it could also do with motivation to maybe making that person want to lose their fat. And, I mean, I understand that, but it's not, you know, she, she's putting the blame entirely on that yeah. one person. And, yeah, you know, everybody needs a self-motivation. Everybody needs that. And it's in their best interest to be healthy. But we had that video that we watched about, you know, the, where it comes from the, from the obese person themselves. And, you know, they, they know the problem. They don't need to be told the problem. Right. Yeah. But, you know, they, they recognize that they have a problem, but they don't need her telling them that because they, you know, she's not a trusted, she's not a trusted source. Maybe she can motivate in a certain way. Well, they said that, like, studies have shown that that doesn't even work. Like, when you're trying to tell someone who's obese, you're obese, you need to stop. You need to stop eating. You need to do things differently. You're not handling your life the right way. It only causes that person to spiral. Like, it doesn't, it's not beneficial. And I think it was really interesting in her like in the video that we watched in class about stigma when they were talking about like all the common descriptions about like what people associate with obesity it was things like you're unhealthy you don't take things seriously you're dirty you're smelly you're unmotivated you know you um don't know how to prioritize you stuff your face always and it's just like you watch these people say these things and 
we, I mean, even the people who were obese in those videos were saying, like, we start to believe these things about ourselves. Like, we start to feel prejudice against ourselves because of the way that, like, social media and media in general paint that picture. So I think it's a really, really effective message, but it's negative and it's not beneficial. Yeah, I think what people need is more positive motivation. Uh, as you start shaming the people, they're just going to start feeling worse about themselves and yeah. making the situation worse. I think as we as we kind of end the discussion about popular, I think that takes us into the next type of discourse, which which should be the ones who are worried about the way that the media portrays obesity and the way that people talk about it and and the discourse on it. And that's and I think that's political. That's political discourse, and that's that's the side of uh, the government. That's where what they say and you know what they do and what they're regulating on um, on the food industry that that's what political discourse is so why don't we get on that and we can kind of feed off popular discourse uh, and talk about political I think uh, for political it's very interesting how much we rely on political figures to shape our ideas um, the things that we think about and how when we were actually studying political discourse how much we were finding that politicians are funded by a lot of these major corporations like they're they're the ones that are getting money from the beverage companies and from the food companies to paint a picture yeah and i read an article about cook county wanted to tax um you know for high sugar drinks i don't know if you guys read that or not yeah and i think we don't even in ter- in terms of politics, we don't even start to listen to ourselves anymore, just because their politics seem to be the guiding light right. this day and age in this generation. So of course we're going to look to them to not only help us but kind of put us on the right track. And all that they're doing is protecting their best interests and protecting themselves. You know, everything kind of stays hush hush under the table when it comes to um, regulations on, like you said, like uh, soda and taxing things. You know, you'll you'll never see. Uh, the government kind of put a kind of put a bash on the food industry just because there's you know money talks money. you know <laughs> money money talks and that that is a big key player you know the food industry in the lobbyists just like uh, we'll get into him Rick Berman he he provides so much money to the government he you know he has those those organizations that are are fake but uh, would make someone believe that they're real and that. You know, all this money that is being funded to these these officials to get reelected or elected, that's what that's what really is happening. I think we should really touch on that Rick Berman thing, like how um, if you guys want to comment in on the different things, because I think for someone who doesn't know about it, like when you're reading a study and you see on the very bottom where it says this was funded by this organization, if you don't know anything about that organization and you hear something like, what is it, the global... Um, balance program or something like that. Um, If you hear that and you don't know anything about what that organization is or who funds it, I mean, why wouldn't you trust it? Yeah, it could be getting funded by whatever industry, like the food industry, such as like a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi, just trying to help their own business out. Yeah, and when they they actually went for that interview with with this organization, they wanted to sit down with the, the chairman of this organization, it was right in his office. You know, there was no there was no exactly. office set aside for this company, and it turns out that the money that this organization is you know is being funded and the money that they're making isn't isn't going to people who work for this this company. It's going right in his pocket. What about that? Um, didn't that one lady accuse Ronald McDonald for that? When she went in front of Senate, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, 
a professional setting in front of Senate. She, I think she was she having was a, a deposition or something, and she, I mean, the most craziest thing you could ever say is, she, you know, she said, Ronald McDonald is not, you know, hurting children. He promotes, you know, magic and fun, which is the most outrageous thing she anyone could ever say. She didn't want to say that. She got paid to say that. <laughs> you you're also promoting <laughs> the happiness, too. To, to, say, to say something that crazy and you're a professional lady, I think, I think, like Mike said, you do need, you know, you have something in your pocket. Someone's in your pocket telling you to say this, paying you to say it, because you you know for a fact that you, you really don't mean what you're saying, because <laughs> I bet she knows the problem in America, and she doesn't want to say it. And there's money behind everything. It's Everybody's yeah. getting funded by something, and you have a personal agenda, or there's a conflict of interest, and there definitely is when it comes to politics. You want the money, so you're going to say what you need to say. All right, let's discuss our next, which would be the academic discourse that there's two different realms that the academic discourse takes. Um, one is academics who are funded, oddly enough, by the Coke industry, you know, Pepsi, or Nestle, any of these major corporations. Their results tended to be more biased. Uh, they had a bit of a, I guess, a conflict of interest. They were getting paid by these major corporations, and these are scientists, professors, and any time that they were being asked, hey, can you do a research study for us? We're going to fund the school a million dollars or whatever the case would be. Their results would always show that Coke or, you know, uh, drinking any type of sugary beverage didn't necessarily, you know, affect obesity as much as the media is portraying. Whereas the scientists and anybody else who was doing these independent studies and they weren't getting funded by these major corporations found the exact opposite. Uh, yeah, what I found was... In the videos we saw in class, the lady was just saying how these high sugar drinks are obviously just a source of calories and that there needs to be balance. And that she said that there's no study behind this, but obviously there's some discrepancies in that notion. And and, w- and what I think, and I, I read it in articles, anyone can and sugarcoat facts as long as you find a loophole. Right. And, and these, these industries are paying, you know, they have a team of lawyers to go through and look at what they're saying before anything gets released, and these lawyers are probably okaying what's going out as long as they're not lying. And But a lot of it is, is misleading and and not 100% the truth. You can't always get your information right from certain news articles or sources. Well, and the academic viewpoint is that it's not as much about exercise, which I think was very shocking. It has more to do with um, what you consume calorie-wise. So I think for my opinion on that, I would agree with that now that I've researched that and studied it, but um, academic definitely takes an opposite viewpoint than what we're seeing as a trend. And I think the the best way to to bring all these discourses together is just to talk about food industry as a whole and how all these pertain to food industry and how food industry, you know, on the on the back end affects all three of these all three of these types of discourse. So the food industry had a couple different takes on it. One of the most interesting ones to me was um, when a professor of nutrition, food and public health was asked about the food industry take, she said they have a clear agenda that the researchers use and they confuse science to deflect the attention from dietary intake. Anytime that they're discussing what is the underlying cause of obesity, the food industry tends to turn it and confuse things so that people who are learning about it or trying to better themselves are actually walking away confused, like with that whole trans fat fad and things things of that nature. The food industry wants to confuse you so you continue to consume. Right, and I think I think food industry itself is is playing is playing the cards that they have at hand and 
trust me, they have a lot of cards that they can play. That's where people like uh, Nicole Arbor, that's where she gets her information is these online sources that are totally make-believe and, you know, the opposite of, you know, academic and political and food industry as a whole is sly, you know, and <laughs> it's it's not totally 100% uh, the best the best environment that America can live in because, you know, the government can put America first, but the, the subsidies and these these organizations, you know, don't put Americans first. There was that one article that we were reading in class that was talking about the playbook that mimicked the way that the tobacco industry was viewing things. And they were talking about how, you know, they, they put everything on personal responsibility, that they talked about how there's the nanny state. You know, they paint it that the government's trying to take away your freedom. They emphasize physical activity over diet. They plant doubt. I think that the food industry definitely has major control over the way that we view things, and we don't even realize it. It's a good point to kind of wrap up everything. I think everybody got their opinion in on the three types of discourse in food industry as a whole. So hopefully, you know, people can take away from this from this podcast and learn a little something, and hopefully we helped uh, kind of educate